Thanks, Ray, and special thanks to all of our praise band who have provided the music for our worship today. Y'all have done a fantastic job. Thank you for sharing your gift with us. Why don't we give them a big hand? So we're in the middle of a, of a small, um, short little three-part series um, where we're talking about passing our faith on. And last week we began by talking about um, passing our faith on to children and being really intentional with children about their spiritual growth. Next week we're going to be um, talking about the saints who have um, poured their faith into us as we celebrate All Saints Day. This week, we're talking about the mentor relationship between Elijah and Elisha and how that can be done between uh, two people of the same age or people of different generations. Uh, one of my mentors um, growing up was my grandfather, and I'm uh, proud to uh, read from his Bible um, this morning. Um, Jared just read from, uh, um, from his phone, and that's what I do nowadays. I keep... Uh, I keep my Bible on the phone, right? And it's so much more convenient. Um, but I, I was just thinking about how that's such a, a modern uh, technique for keeping up with our Bible. Um, this Bible that my grandfather took with him to college in 1928 is called the Modern Reader's Bible. It's now 90 years old, but it's called the Modern Reader's Bible. And you'll, you'll hear just how um, not modern it sounds. Um, this is 2 Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah by a whirlwind into heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me as far as Bethel. And Elisha said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? He said, Yeah, I know. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jordan. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho, oh, what? Excuse me, Jericho. I'm reading it backwards. Um, and the sons of the prophets um, that were at Jericho came near to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? He said, yeah, I know, hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood over against them afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Take ha I cannot read. Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on. And talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of, Elijah, of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw them no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters. 
and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he'd also smitten the waters, they were divided hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho over against them saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word that has been given to us from generation to generation. Lord, I pray that you will pour it into us once more, that we might pour it into the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, each one of us gathered here today comes bearing the echoes of great people in our lives. Each one of us bears the mark of someone who has touched us in a powerful way, whether it was your parents or your grandparents, uh, aunts or uncles. Maybe it was a neighbor who took you under his or her wing or uh, a special teacher, maybe even a pastor. If you're really blessed, you might have received more than one such fellow traveler along the way. The blessings of such people walking with us on our journey cannot be overestimated. Such people come as mentors and teachers, counselors and sponsors. They come willing to give of themselves and they come eager for you to grow into the people that God has called you to be. For me, there were many such blessings, but I want to take a minute to speak about just two of them. And that's my father and my grandfather. You see, neither one of them were ministers by profession, but they both taught me so much about servant leadership. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, and, uh, and if you're not, I'd love for you to be, so just ask me uh, today, that'd be great. Uh, but if you are a Facebook friend, you know that my father is spending this weekend on his 50th mission trip with Appalachian Service Project. Um, that's right. Um, Appalachian Service Project is a ministry that repairs homes up in the Appalachian Mountains. It helps the homes become safer, drier, warmer. Um, this does not include uh, all of the mission trips he's taken in hurricane relief around the southeast or the work that he's done in his hometown of High Point. But he has taken off work for five to seven day stints 50 times now to go help folks in the Appalachian Mountains. I'm obviously very proud of that. That's why I'm bragging on it this morning. Um, meanwhile, since both my parents worked when I was young, I spent a lot of time as a child with my maternal grandparents. I never went to daycare. I never went to after school. When school was out, I went to my grandparents' house. And my grandfather, Snotherly, he taught me lots of things. He taught me how to fish, which I'm okay at. He taught me how to play golf, which I'm worse at. He taught me how to, um, he taught me how to shoot pool. I'm, that's just downright embarrassing how bad I am at that. But he also taught me some other things. He taught me how to tie my shoes. He taught me how to tie a tie. And he sat me down and he talked to me about tithing to the church. He was the one who told me to be a generous giver. He also taught me to do things for others without asking for anything in return, without even, without even getting any recognition for it. He taught me about integrity and honesty. And while I like to boast, I always admired the fact that he never did. He was quiet, unassuming, really humble. And even though he's been gone for 17 years, I want to tell you a little bit more about my grandfather. You see, he left the farm at age 16 to enroll at High Point College. 
And upon graduation, he stayed in High Point and he became a math teacher at the local high school. I've often wondered if that's where my children get their math skills from because it sure ain't from me. (laughs) Around age 30, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And so my granddad enrolled in the Navy. He enlisted. He was assigned to a ship that transported men back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean up to the front lines in Europe. He made 11 trips back and forth across the Atlantic. When the war ended, he and my grandmother, they settled in High Point, and they raised one child, who was my mom. My granddad didn't go back to teaching. Instead, he became the head of personnel at a hosiery mill in High Point. When he died, I was astonished at the number of people who came to me and said, your grandfather gave me my first job. I thought that was really cool when I heard it from my Sunday school teacher or from my friend's parents even the former mayor of High Point. My grandfather was that guy that the church kept finding a place for. You know, he'd be the administrative council chair for three years, and then he'd rotate off and become the finance chair, and then he'd become the staff parish chair or the trustee chair. He was a longtime delegate to annual conference. I remember when we went on vacation, he'd always take a suit with him because he and my grandmother would go to church no matter where we were. These are the people who were my male role models growing up, my dad and my grandfather, the men that I spent the most time with. I didn't realize how lucky I was as a child. In fact, as a child, I wish we lived in a bigger home and had nicer cars and went on cooler vacations. Every time the holidays came around, I envied my friends who got to go out of state to visit their grandparents, not realizing what a blessing it was to grow up in the same town with my grandparents. I came to realize later that I'd lived a rather idyllic childhood. And in fact, I'd been blessed by the strong, loving relationships that my family gave me day after day and year after year. My father, of course, continues to enjoy good health, um, but I try not to take that for granted. When he says, let's play golf, I say, where and when, even though he lives three and a half hours away, we find a place to meet. My grandfather, of course, has passed. He lived into his 90s, and in a weird circle of life kind of way, he died on my eldest child's first birthday. Um, I guess he wasn't perfect, but I never saw any flaws in him. He was only five foot seven, but I thought of him as a giant, as a man. He was fully wonderful, and now that he's gone, I often think, if I could ask for just one more thing from him, just one more gift, it would be a double measure of his spirit. Oh, how I'd love that. I would stand with Elisha, who was bidding his master and mentor farewell. And rather with more time with my grandfather Snuthery, rather than one more lesson, rather than a book with all of his lessons in it, I would love to have a deeper taste of his spirit. A double measure. Think with me for just a moment. What would it mean in your own life to receive a double measure of the spirit of your mentor, of your best friend, of your teacher, of your guide? What would it mean to receive a double dose of that spirit of helpfulness and caring and attentiveness and and affection? Think how much it meant to you to receive that once. Can you imagine a double dose? For my own part, it's hard to imagine what that would look like. It feels kind of selfish. 
For others of you, you might say, open the gates and let it just flood in, right? What would you say? How would you feel? What would happen with this flood of abundance that would come your way in a double measure of your mentor's spirit? You know what Elisha did? He picked up the mantle of his mentor, Elijah, and he stepped into his master's shoes. He took that double measure of his spirit, and he went out on his own journey of greatness, and he began to serve the Lord and began to serve God's people. This is a common theme throughout the Bible, right? Moses mentoring Joshua. Naomi mentoring Ruth, Eli mentoring Samuel, Mordecai mentoring Esther, Paul mentoring Timothy only after Timothy had been mentored by his mother and his grandmother. It goes on and on. My question to you is, who has been your spiritual guide? Who is your role model? To we who've had the benefit of great teachers and parents and grandparents who've poured out a part of themselves into us, the question is, what have we done with the gift that we received? What will we do with the gift of the Spirit, whether it's a double measure or not? Are we to go on and try to fill in the shoes of our benefactors? Are we to take the gift and use it on our own unique journey? Or are we to take that gift and turn around and give it just as it was given to us? What do you think? What are you supposed to do with it? Perhaps our answer is found in all of these. Perhaps some of us do receive the call to fill the shoes of our mentors. How many of us have chosen our work because we saw someone else do it and do it well? This happens all the time with teachers, right? You know, how many teachers are teachers today because they had a great teacher growing up? You see, yeah, you see that all the time. How many people saw someone doing something admirable and and you thought, I want to do that too? Elijah moved on to take up, excuse me, Elisha moved to take up the mantle of Elijah because he saw what Elijah was doing. He said, I want to be like that. It could be, of course, that we take the blessings and the gifts that are offered to us and we use them in our own unique way. I got a friend, a pastor friend, um, who says that he had this youth group member who told him that he inspired him to take on his job. And I said, well, what's so astonishing about that? He said, well, he's, he's a mathematics professor. And I thought, well, okay, that is a little weird. He said, yeah, because um, he's, he says, I'm his inspiration, and I don't know anything about math. I get that. I get that. The thing is, he was inspired, but to go do his own thing, what he was most gifted at. And I respect that. Finally, of course, we can receive these gifts and turn around and offer them back out again. We can make it a point to work with young people, to mentor, to guide them. We can be the heroes that we needed when we were younger, whether we got them or not. We can give the gift of ourselves, a double dose of our spirit to someone else who's starting their journey. Perhaps the best way to honor those who gave themselves to us is to turn around and give ourselves to others. Of course, all of these responses kind of intermingle, don't they? As we respond to the goodness of others that have poured their lives into ours. But let us consider the ways that we're now trying to carry out that gift. Because some in the community are doing it beautifully. They do it with grace. And they continue to teach others and they continue to shower others with the gifts that they've been given. Some are are doing this so well. 
I, I wonder, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just wonder, how many of you are already mentoring somebody now? Could you, if not, could you possibly give yourself to teaching in our Sunday school? Or working as a faith keeper with our 412 youth group? Now I know what you're saying. You're going, I can't teach. Well, maybe it's a relationship with another adult. You know, maybe it's, it, maybe it's something else. I would invite you to move into prayer. This is a very biblical thing. To discern with God how you might offer a measure of your spirit to someone else in your life, to someone in our community, to someone who just might benefit beyond measure. Remember the story of Elijah, he's heading for the river. Now it's hard to understand that language from 90 years ago, but you know, he keeps telling Elisha, he says, stay behind, but Elisha refuses. He's like, no, I'm going to go with you all, all the way. And they're like, um, you know, all these prophets come up to him like, you know, Elijah's going to die today. And Elisha's like, yeah, I know, shut up. You know, it's okay. I, 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 want, I want, you know, one more moment with him. And finally they get to the river and Elijah asks them, is, is there anything else I can do for you, Elisha? And since you know, Elisha can't ask the prophet to stay any longer because he's about to die. He says, yeah, give me a double measure of your spirit. I mean, think of the connection between these two. Imagine the power of that master-student relationship, okay? Picture yourself now as mentor and guide and imagine somebody who is so struck, who is so moved by you, that at your parting, all they want is a double measure of your spirit. Can you imagine Friends, if you're already in a relationship like, like that, then nourish it. If you're not in one, I challenge you to consider how you might be in one by praying about it now. For it's not only your personal spirit that you end up sharing with someone, but it's the spirit of God that you end up sharing with someone. Now, I suspect there's somebody out there who's going, man, I ain't got anything to give. You know, I, I, I can't do this. You're, you're talking to somebody else, Doug. I promise you, you have something to share. I promise. You have a faith that is worth sharing. You have a grace that needs to be passed on. You have a love that needs to be taught. I can see where today's invitation sounds a little intimidating, though, okay? So let me give you some brief instructions. I'm going to help you. Okay? I'm going to give you five ways that you can be a good mentor to somebody. And if you like writing things down, now's the time to get out your pen. Okay? So get out your pen, and here are five ways that you can be a good mentor to somebody else. Start with number one, be available. You don't have to be a biblical scholar in order to mentor someone. All you got to do is love God and want to live by his word. And you don't have to be a trained psychologist either. Just be available with timely advice for someone who is searching for an anchor. Sometimes the very best thing to do is to just say, let's pray about this, because God is bigger than all of our problems. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. God is not looking for your abilities. God is looking for your availabilities. Number two, be purposeful. Does the person you're mentoring, do they need a Bible study? Do they need a prayer partner? Do they need parenting advice? Do they need advice around work and life balance? Do they need some kind of accountability partner? I, I think a group that does this really well is AA. They understand this better than just about any other group in America about the importance of walking alongside someone who is struggling. 
When, when you take on a mentoring relationship, when you become a sponsor, in their case, for someone else, you, you've got to be thinking, what is the central aim? What is the central goal that we're trying to meet? And once you figure that out, then you can move on to point number three, which is be a listener. A listener. When you've managed to meet with this new friend, just listen. They should do most of the talking. Let them open up. Don't feel compelled to dole out advice to every single thing that they have to say. Just wait until they ask your thoughts on the subject. Be patient. Be trustworthy. The person you mentor must be able to trust you implicitly and know that nothing that they say is ever going to get past your ears and your lips. For this to work, the relationship's really got to be sacred. Number four, be real. When it's time for you to do the talking, remember that honesty builds trust. We are all sinners continuing to be transformed into the image of Christ. None of us are finished yet, so don't be afraid to be genuine. Don't be afraid to get real. Don't be afraid to open up about your mistakes and your shortcomings. It's okay. The grace of God will get you through this job and sometimes will get you through in spite of your best self. Which brings us to number five. Be an example. That old phrase, do as I say, not as I do, it, 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 it means as much in mentoring as it does in parenting. you got to walk the walk just as much as you talk the talk. Mentors must demonstrate their love for God and actually pray when they say they're going to pray. Words alone are just empty. So let's be like Paul, who encouraged his church in Corinth, who said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything, he said, and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. As we teach and model patience, as we teach and model love, as we teach and model compassion, as we teach and model the ability to laugh and to sing, we are passing on the Spirit of God. As we do this person by person, the world is healed a little bit at a time. But if we keep it all to ourselves, it doesn't help anybody. So let us be in prayer this week as we consider Elijah and Elisha. Let us move into this week willing to accept the mantle of prophet, of teacher, of mentor, of friend. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Most holy and loving God, Lord, we thank you so much that for generation after generation, you have passed on the good news of Jesus Christ until it has come to us. And we give thanks for our mentors, for parents, for grandparents, for teachers, for preachers, for good friends who looked after us. And now you've entrusted it to us. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to share the good news with someone else. To have the kind of relationship that we needed when we were younger. The ones that we are, are blessed by and the ones that we wished were were even stronger. Lord, may there be a day when somebody wants a double measure of our spirit. In Jesus' name.
Amen.